Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am so, so grateful. I'm grateful you're here. I'm grateful you're listening. And I have to tell you, I am so beyond grateful for all of the messages, the personal notes I received, the cards, the just the outpouring of love that you all have shown me uh, because of John's passing has honestly, in it, it's been overwhelming. It's been beautiful. It's been heartwarming. And it's it's been like a blanket of comfort. And I'm so, so eternally grateful. Obviously, last week's episode was a pretty vulnerable episode. And I put my heart out there on the line. And I am just, again, very thankful for all of you and just sitting here in deep, deep gratitude. And what I want you to know is that I'm going to continue this conversation. It's not a one-and-done conversation. I, it's important to me that we talk about grief uh, because the reality is, at least from my perspective, is it's really hard to talk about grief when you've never been through it before. I look back on how I showed up for other people who had tragedies in their lives. And I definitely could have done things differently. I could have done things better. And I I think it's just a topic that we are really uncomfortable. Most of us, I should say, are uncomfortable talking about. And so I am going to have some experts on and we are going to be talking about grief because, again, just like this isn't a one and done podcast episode about John's passing, the reality is, is that there's different stages of grief and there's different evolutions of what I'm going to be going through. And I'm not even I'm not even there yet. So you're going to be on the journey with me as you have been throughout this entire podcast. And I'm I'm so looking forward to doing this together and really going through this process with you, because for me, it's very cathartic. It's very healing to talk about it. And the reality is I know that not everyone feels that way. What I've clearly learned about grief just in the short time that I have been in my own grief and processing grief is that everyone processes grief completely different. And that's okay. There's not one way or a right way or a wrong way to to go through this journey. And so, like I said, We're going to be having some honest conversations and some learnings together about how we can help ourselves through this process. And I'm kind of excited and nervous, but I've found great support through Cedar sinai and through that organization and their support organization, I actually came across an organization here in Simi Valley, which is called Soaring Spirits. And I have signed up to go in two weeks to Camp Widow. So stay tuned and you'll hear about my journey. Uh, I'm nervous. I'm kind of excited in a weird way. And you'll be hearing all about it. So lots of lots of change, lots of evolution. 
and a, a lot of unknown. So we will go through it together, my friends. So one of the things I've learned through my grieving process already is that connection is so important. And I I tee that up for my next guest because, you know, sometimes you just meet someone and you just have that instant connection. Well, that's exactly how I felt about my next guest, Catherine Matice. She is the founder and CEO of Civility Partners. She is a human resource disruptor. She's an award-winning author, a blogger, a speaker. She's just an all-around amazing person. And she founded Civility Partners, and it's a consulting firm focused on turning around toxic workplace cultures. And she and her team do this through providing training, coaching, as well as consulting projects. So she is, as I mentioned, an author. And her first book, which is called Back Off, Your Kick-Ass Guide to Ending Bullying at Work, was hailed by Ken Blanchard as, quote unquote, the most comprehensive and valuable handbook on the topic of workplace bullying. And I am excited for you to hear Catherine's wisdom. So listen in to find out some tips, A, on how to deal with a workplace bully or a toxic workplace, if that's what you're dealing with and that's what you're challenged with right now. And B, you can also get some tips from her in this podcast about if you're a manager of a bully and what to do about it and how to intervene. So let's dive into the episode. But before we do that, I want to pose a question for you to think about as you're listening. And that question is a very simple question. What are you tolerating? And the second follow-up question to that is why? So kind of be thinking about that as we go through this episode. Let's dive into my conversation with Catherine Matice. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. All right, Catherine, I am so excited for our conversation. Thank you for spending the time with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. Absolutely. Well, I would love for you just to dive in and tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and your career history. Sure. I uh, started off doing HR way back when I was a receptionist at a small little company and they hired a consultant who quickly realized we needed HR. And she said, you should be HR and you'll report to me. So that's how I got into HR. Um, fast forward several years, I worked my way up to director of HR for an organization uh, where there was an individual who was pretty toxic, and I would say he was bullying, and um, that was frustrating. I felt bullied by him personally, and then as director of HR, felt you know I was dealing with all of these problems he was creating. Uh, and uh, ended up getting my master's degree while I was working there in communication and was so fascinated 
and frustrated by this scenario I was in, I ended up doing all of my graduate research on the topic of workplace bullying. And so I sort of jokingly, seriously say I have a master's degree in workplace bullying. Um, and so that's, <laughs> that's what I do now. That's my career. Um, going around helping save the world from toxic behavior and toxic leaders. <laughs> Saving the world from one bully at a time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. I, you know, I, I love your, I love your history because I, I think so many people in that situation can, you know, obviously we have different reactions, right? We can freeze, fight. And I love that you leaned into curiosity, which I think is why you and I are so connected. I love that you're like, you know what? This is terrible, but I want to learn more about it. And you ended up doing your complete education on it and becoming an expert on it. So I love, love, love. I talk about curiosity all the time and diving into curiosity and showing up with curiosity when things get difficult. Because I know many of us have a hard time either with difficult conversations, toxic work environments, dealing with a bully, even in family dynamics, dealing with someone who maybe is a tough relative. And I love that you just dove head in. And so you became an expert in workplace bullying and through your own story and would Love to hear, obviously, you've had a lot of interactions in organizations, working with organizations that have toxic work cultures that are initiated by maybe a bully or two. And I'm curious to know, what are some of the behaviors that people should look for or acknowledge, hey, this is a toxic workplace? Because I think sometimes people get so ingrained in it that they don't even realize this is a really bad situation. So what should people look out for? You're right. It becomes normalized over time. So I'm going to answer your question a couple different ways. Um, first is just basic definition of bullying. Bullying is repeated behavior uh, that's going on over the course of time. Uh, generally, researchers like to say it's happening maybe once or twice a week. And so we're not talking about someone who, you know, twice a year, explodes. You know, we're talking about ongoing repeated behavior. And then bullying behaviors show up in three different buckets. So the first bucket is aggressive communication, behavior that we can all see, yelling, aggressive body language, nasty emails, you know, just aggressive communication. The second bucket is humiliation, pointing out mistakes in public, pointing out mistakes, you know, over email to and CCing everyone or consistently bringing up an old mistake, um, socially isolating someone, sarcastic jokes that are meant to embarrass, you know. And then the third bucket is manipulation, which is where all that passive aggressive stuff falls. So uh, doing things like uh, claiming someone is a poor performer when they're not or giving someone so much work and it's due by five o'clock and there's just no way they're going to be able to do it taking away uh, really key responsibilities from them. So they're sort of left going, wait, wait, that's part of my job. Where, where's mm -hmm. that going? So I'll, I say all that because what I find in coaching toxic leaders is that those three buckets always show up together. So I've noticed we're not really using the word bully when someone's just a nasty email sender, you know, <laughs> then it's an isolated behavior. But the, so People we're calling bullies are generally doing all three of those buckets. Got it. The same. Um, and then I just wanted to, the other answer I wanted to share is that 
you're right. It becomes normalized. So what happens is bullying creeps up on people. So it happens over time where maybe I send you a nasty email and CC a few people and everybody's sort of bothered, but we don't step in when stuff like that happens because it happened once. Maybe I'm having a bad day and we brush it off. And then I do something else a couple of weeks later. And, and you know, it's this thing that's insidious that over time happens. And then eventually people who are targeted by bullies, it's like, you sort of have this epiphany one day after six months of being bullied, like, I, I don't think this is going to change. I think I'm being targeted. Um, And so something to be aware of too, if you feel like it's wrong or it makes you feel uncomfortable, pay attention to those feelings. Yeah. So, so you're talking about kind of how it creeps up on you. And I'm curious to kind of go back to your story. So how did you end up resolving the situation with the bully or what, what ended up happening in, in your situation? What ended up happening is typical for people who feel bullied. I ended up getting myself fired. The deal was that we were both directors. There was a couple other directors. We all, of course, reported to the president and everyone really despised this one director. And I spent a lot of time in the president's office talking to him about it. Every time the next person was quitting, I would be back in the office. Can you please address this person's behavior? And he would say things like, well, that's just how he is. I don't know why everyone's so bothered by it or be the bigger person. And of course that bothered me. It's like, why do I have to be the bigger person? Why can't you just talk to him about it? Why are we allowing this? And over time, it just affected me so much where I started to feel like if the president's not loyal to me, he's allowing this to happen to me and everybody, um, then why am I so loyal? So I got to a point where I literally was thinking, I'm just going to finish out my grad program and then I'll have my master's and that'll be a good time to I'm out of here, find something new. Um, But I couldn't hang on long enough. So eventually my boss, the president came into my office and I I just remember he came in one day and was like, what's going on with you? You're leaving early or, you know, barely working when you're here, what's happening? And I burst into tears and I just said, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm trying to hang on. I don't like the way this is going, you know? And I said, you know what? I'll, I should put in my 30 day notice because I would like to set up the next person for success. So give me 30 days and I'm out of here. And he said, if you're that unhappy, you should leave right now. And so I packed my things as all the other fired people that I had fired (laughs) away did and, um, you know, packed my things and disappeared. And, um, Thankfully, had a really great friend who let me live with her uh, rent free. She was paying her mortgage just fine on her own. So she didn't need my rent money and um, kind of finished out grad school and got back on my feet under her mama bird wing and went from there. I, I'm sorry that happened to you. And I'm so glad it did because you're such an expert in what you do and you're helping so many people. So I love that you use your story for good and for impact, which is really, really powerful. And I'm curious, going back to that story, you know, I think back in my corporate days, um, luckily, we didn't have a lot of bullying, but there was one person in particular that was notorious for it. And there was so much collateral damage. So many people were going out on sick leave, on mental mental breaks, having to take leave of absences from work. 
just the the carnage that this person left behind was horrible and in your story as well and you also mentioned it is the common kind of the common situation so why is it that organizations seem to protect or these bullies seem to kind of be insulated from from their behavior and, and performance reviews being reflected back on them why is that because they're seen as valuable so people who engage in bullying behavior are living in super, super fear of being seen as incompetent. And of course, we all want to be seen as competent, but their level of anxiety around it is off the charts. And I've noticed a pattern through coaching that all of my coaching clients who are bullying have been fighting for something their whole life. And it, it's, you know, I, I mean, I, I was coaching a guy who's the CEO of North America in a global multi-billion dollar company, you know, and he's still fighting for getting attention from his dad at the dinner table when he was six, you know, and that's where, when I really pinned him down on, why do you do that at meetings? Why do you freak out on people like that? And it was a habit he'd formed as a kid. Um, and so he's living in, in this old way. But because they're fighters and they live in uber fear of being seen as incompetent, they work hard and they are getting results and they're, you know, they are high, high performers. So they're either bringing in a ton of sales or they have a lot of organizational knowledge. In my case, that guy had been there for 14 years longer than the president had. Mm. Um, so I think there was some concern if he leaves, what knowledge would he take? Sure. And so that's what it is. And the, the narrative is generally that HR has been trying to get permission to address the behavior for a long time and having conversations with the C-suite about it. And, um, and it's usually something happens when the CEO finally says, okay, I guess we do need to address it. So there's some sort of catalyst that causes the organization to go, okay, you can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I think think back to lawsuits recently in the entertainment business. I know you were on CNN talking about one of those, and it seems like it has to completely explode for it to be addressed, um, you know, because it it also sounds like a lot of those people are not only high performers, but they're in power. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and what are the effects of workplace bullying on a culture, on the rest of the staff? I'm curious to know what you've seen in your experience. Yeah. So I, I got to say there's about 40 years of academic research on this topic from the ra- around the world. And 75% of it is about the damage it causes targets. It is so, so clear that people who feel bullied feel anxiety, depression, confusion. There's lots of research that it hurts your marriage because you go home and complain about it because you're obsessed with it because you don't understand it. Um, You know, it's what you do for a living. It's chipping away at your self-esteem and your self-concept. There's tons of research that it hurts your ability to parent because you're focused on that negativity all day. And then you come home, it's hard to switch it over to positive parenting um, you, you know, it, it causes a ton of mental issues and also psychosomatic issues, you know, that stress um, eats you up and there's heart disease has been associated with being bullied. 
even PTSD has been associated with being bullied. Um, there are stories of suicide. So it, it it is hugely damaging. And it's one of the reasons I do what I do. I'm, I just don't think you should be getting PTSD when you go to work. Yeah, I think that's a good baseline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just mind boggling that you could go to war or work and have the same mental health problems. So, and then of course, all of that affects the organization. How can an organization do well if you have a bunch of people living, you know, in shells of themselves who are afraid to communicate? Um, I just think about my own experiences, for example, how much wasted time there was over the course of the five years I worked there. I spent more and more time in another director's office by the end, I was, I was probably in there a half of a day every week, you know, by the time I was venting to her. I mean, that's two highest paid people in the organization spending a ton of time venting. So just wasted time, poor quality work, you know, the, the list is endless. Absolutely. And so, so when do people typically bring you into an organization? When, when do you get that phone call? Generally, something has happened. There's often a catalyst. So, you know, I coach leaders engaging in bullying behavior. Those That catalyst is often something like um, another valuable person left and cited that bullying leader or somebody filed a harassment um, complaint, you know, and there was an investigation and turns out maybe it's not technically legally hostile work environment, but it's still hostile and needs to change. Um, so, so something like that happens when I, we also do culture work where we go into toxic environments and, uh, do workforce surveys and then work with the leaders to turn the culture around. And in those scenarios, again, often something's happened. we got a lot of clients during me too, because somebody went public with something. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, I had a sales call yesterday, for example, where it was just like, this has been going on for too long. We've tried all these different ways. We're at a loss we need somebody else to help us, obviously. So, um, you know, they, it's been happening for a while, but yeah, it's something happens where the leadership realizes this just can't go on anymore. Sure. And then in, in the cases where you're coaching a a leader, who's been a bully, I'm curious to know, are they, I mean, usually at that point, they're given an ultimatum. You either change your behavior so I, I call that last chance coaching. <laughs> yeah. You got your last chance, right? You, you either change your behavior or else right. you will be out the door. Um, do you find that most of the bullies are coachable? Yes. The answer is yes. Uh, people who engage in bullying can be coached, but it's under some specific circumstances. So they're not generally like, I'm bullying people. Can you help me? You know, they often have been allowed to, to act this way for quite a while. And the leadership has been having conversations with them about making change. And that's resulted in them making change for a few months. And then it works back up into them being bullies again. And so over time, they've just developed this implicit permission to act that way. So I don't take on a coaching client unless there's a consequence in place because I need the person to understand that there is a line. This is not just another conversation. Please change. This is, you have to make change. But so part of my process in kind of selling the coaching to the leaders is to give some coaching around how to have that conversation. So it's really presented as like, we've been talking about this for a while. 
it just cannot continue. And so you understand how important it is. We've, we're putting a consequence in place, but I don't, I don't want to use that consequence. I want you here. I value you. And so I already found you a coach who's going to make sure, you know, that you are able to have all the resources you need to not have to have that consequence. And so I'm sort of presented as a gift, like our hands are tied here. You have to change, but we want you to change. And so then from there, I, once I meet the client, they're generally sort of like, yeah, I'm, I'm rough around the edges or, you know, it's like, I, I know I can yell sometimes and it's fine. It gets results, you know, and they just don't understand the impact. Um, and so then I interview people that they work with and it's just like, well, let's figure out what the impact is. Let's figure out what people need from you to be a better leader. And so I take all my interview notes, I move it all into themes, and then I read that document to them line item by line item. And it's usually 17 to 20 pages of all of the things that people need to change. And that is the moment that I get their uh, desire to change. It's no longer because of the consequence. It's they're appalled and had no idea that that's how bad it was. And I'll, they'll say things like, I wouldn't want to work for me either. Uh, you know, so they, they are interested in change. Now, sometimes I get the occasional, you know, ah, that's all right. That's just how I am. And then I know I can't help you. So if it doesn't bother you at your core, that this is how awful people see you, there's no reason for you to change. So um, I do often exit those uh, coaching clients pretty quickly. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I love what you're sharing on so many levels because I think teams, organizations, leaders do have a hard time giving people that direct feedback. And what I'm hearing is that consistent feedback is really important to mitigate some of those bullying behaviors and address them upfront and quickly. And, you know, obviously, because people are high performers, there's risk for the leader in doing that. And so um, the importance of feedback is what I'm hearing. The other thing that I can I just interrupt for a second. I want to add that that's the thing is that everybody's afraid, right? This person's afraid of being seen as incompetent. Leadership's afraid of calling out their behavior because they feel like they need them there. Everybody else is afraid of interacting with this person. Why, why be in a fear-based culture, you know? And so I do implore anybody who's listening, if there's a, a bullying situation or even gossip or lower level types of behaviors, um, that if you can address it and call it out that they're not going to just go, well, fine, I'm going to go somewhere else where I can bully, you know, that's not, <laughs> unless they're a narcissist and they enjoy it, you know, but that's not going to be their reaction. And so if you keep in mind that they really want to be seen as competent, if you can sort of position it in that way, Hey, you're really competent in your technical job, but people are essentially saying you're not a competent leader and I can't have you being an, a not competent leader. And so kind of hit them where it hurts with that. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure everybody sees you as competent. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's part of the message, but yeah, don't, don't be afraid that if you call them out, they're just going to be like, well, I'm going to leave and go bully somewhere else then. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, and I love that. And I also love that you talk about a consequence that you you aren't taking a coaching engagement unless there's a consequence because 
Um, I mean, even as adults, I feel like it goes back to kind of this childish behavior of bullying, right? And it's, there has to be some kind of consequence for it. So I love that that is a component of your coaching agreement, that there has to be a consequence for the person that you're coaching, because I think that is really critical. And I also love how your process holds up a mirror to the impact that they're having in the organization on people. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, organizations are built with people. Right. They're, you know, teams are people. We all go to work as people and we all have basic human needs. And I think for you to mirror back to somebody how they're having an impact is really powerful. And then obviously guiding them on the action plan. And so I'm curious if you can share maybe a story or two of an example of, you know, maybe someone that came into your coaching practice that was a really big bully and kind of what the end result of your coaching was and and the results that you got for the organization through, through your process. Yeah, I can share a couple different stories. So I'm actually coaching someone right now who I call her my, one of my star students. She was definitely, when she got the feedback was one of those people that was saying, I I didn't know it was this bad. I knew that I'm stressed and unhappy in this job, but I didn't know it was coming out this way. Um, and so she was definitely wanting to change. And so um, in our my first coaching meeting, I actually go through fight or flight. We go through that whole model and it seems so silly, but it's all based on that. And I help them see that, look, you're fighting. When I see this theme that you're, you know, aggressive in meetings, that's you fighting. So we got to figure out what you're anxious about because that's fighting and fleeing are a sign you're anxious about something. So let's figure out what you're anxious about that's causing you to fight in meetings and be aggressive. Um, And so she was, that was one of her themes that she could be aggressive in staff meetings. And, you know, we talked about lots of different things. She was frustrated with someone else. She was, she's been in this organization for 22 years. And so people always ask her questions and, then they get mad if they tell, if she says, well, the process, that's not how the process works, you know, and she, and just, she was really interested in not doing that. So I told her, well, spend some time just observing, uh, you know, staff meetings, what's happening in the meetings. What, what are you so frustrated by? Um, and then she came back to the next meeting and said, um, I noticed that this whole office is stressed and angry and we're all engaging in toxic behavior and I was just part of the cog and maybe I was the loudest and that's why I'm in coaching and everybody else isn't. Um, and so she has sort of recused herself from all of that drama and has found that she's got better relationships with people. Um, you know, she had a couple real tough relationships. And so I, I was re-interview people after a while to figure out what's happening and if there's change. And the interviews with those kind of two particular individuals were like, yeah, we're good. I don't really have any problems with her anymore, you know? And so hopefully she's influencing the whole office by pulling back from that because she's not participating. And she'll say if someone's gossiping or being kind of angry, she'll just say, I'm trying to stay away from that type of talk. So, you know, I'm going to back out of this conversation and just putting up those boundaries. Um, so, so she's been a, a real success story and it's interesting. One thing I often say in coaching is you got to let people fail, which sounds horrible as I say that, but, um, because they're so focused on competence and, and being the most competent in, in the room, you know, they are often 
frustrated when people make perceived mistakes or don't do things the way that they think they should be done. And so that's where that comes from. It's just let, let them fail, let them do it their own way. And if it's not the right process, their boss will tell them, you don't need to be the one to tell them. So it's about backing out of mm-hmm. So yeah. So she's, uh, she's one of my success stories. I do often become pretty good friends with these people <laughs> over time because I, I care about them and I know they've just lost their way is really what it boils down to. So that's one example. And I, w- I want to share one other one. Uh, Joe is someone I use a lot as a very kind of simple example of how coaching works. So, um, you know, the goal is to look at these themes. We use that as our agenda. So one of his themes uh, also related to meetings um, that he could be aggressive in meetings. And I just remember right towards the end of coaching, he had clearly picked everything up. And this was the sign that he was really making change. So I said, all right, well, let's talk about that. What, what are you doing in those meetings that makes you come across aggressive? And he said, well, you know, I noticed that I come in and sit at the head of the table, even if it's not my meeting, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Oh, you probably don't need to sit at the head of the table, you know? And then he said, I notice I um, stand, I'll go up to the whiteboard and whiteboard something out. And then I stay standing and that's probably a power position. Yeah, it is. You should probably sit back down, you know, and it was those realizing those little subtle things all collectively. I mean, obviously we talked about tone and a lot of other things too, but it's helping them see all those little subtle behaviors that all could together sure. come across as, as bullying. Yeah. And no, I, I love kind of starting with this last example of just him building his awareness Mm-hmm. Because I think for so many people, they don't have that awareness of how those kind of small things, I don't say small to minimize them, but cumulative together, they can make a big impact. And so I love that he was able to have that type of awareness after his coaching with you. And also, my question about your first example, it brings up a question I had as you were going through it is, I imagine that a lot of bullies that you work with in the in the beginning part of your engagement with them quite often say, you know, it's everyone else's fault. Uh, budgets are tight. We don't have enough people. Resources are tight. We're all stressed out, just like the woman said, right? I noticed that the entire culture is one of stress and chaos and results and pressure And I'm just one of many that are in this situation. And it's not me. It's literally the it's the factors that we're having to deal with. We we're we have to meet results. We have to get results. And we have so much pressure to get there that it's unnerving for all of us. And so, yeah, sometimes I maybe I pop off at a meeting. Sometimes I lose my temper. And so what? how do you coach someone that is finger pointing to everything else but themselves. Yeah. Well, I'll, I want to clarify. She wasn't finger pointing. She was saying, I am also doing it sure. in addition to others. Um, but so, but yes, there are, there is a lot of finger pointing. Um, and it comes down to, well, look, if you're telling me everyone's stressed out, everyone's in the scenario, but you're the only one in coaching. So you're the one <laughs> who's not handling it well. Right. Um, and so despite all of that, you have to figure out better ways because you're part of the problem. You're part of creating this stress. Um, and we do often end up talking about a lot of organizational problems too, as we're, co- you know, the things that frustrate them or sort of cause them to lash out. And so, 
you know, I can't force them to be accountable to it, um, to the, to that feedback. So if, if they spend too much of the coaching finger pointing, that's when I'll start to say, look, I can't coach you unless you're willing to own the feedback. So if that's not what's happening here, then let me know and we can call it off. I, I'm just not interested in trying to force you to see things a certain way. So that's, that's one tactic. And it, that tends to work. We're like, well, no, don't, don't leave me. <laughs> it's like, there's a consequence in place. Like, okay, well, you have to own this. Uh, that's yeah. key number one. Um, so I don't know if I'm really answering your question. There's a, a variety of ways, um, you know, it's just taking it little by little. If, if everybody's in chaos, but you're the one who's, I don't know, my way or the highway kind of a person, does that help or hinder yeah. the stress that people are in? So no, thank you for sharing those examples. I think those are great examples of the work that you do and the impact that you're having through the coaching process. Um, I know that you uh, have LinkedIn learning courses. Actually, how many do you have now? I have 33, which I'm very proud of because some of them, I have 33 because several of them have been uh, transcribed and dubbed in other languages. So I've got some international LinkedIn learning courses, which is pretty cool. I love that. I love that. Well, I know one of them is called From Bystander to Upstander. Is that correct? correct. Yeah. And it talks about allyship. And so obviously the the bully might be being coached, but there's also impact to teams. There's impact to other bystanders in the organization. And so what advice um, or insights do you have on how we can become better allies for others who are being bullied in the workplace? Yeah, uh, great question. I'm going to start by saying allyship is a lot easier when the behaviors are lower level, which is the phrase I use, you know, the, the little bit of gossip or the microaggression or the inappropriate sarcasm um, practice there. And so we should all be diligent at just paying attention to what's happening around us and being willing to, to step in. And it doesn't have to be, Hey, don't say that. That was mean, you know, just uh, the very professional, like, Hey, I'm not sure if you thought about this, but that could have come across this way or, you know, there's all sorts of little, we actually have um, 16 scripts for being an ally, which I'm happy to share, uh, which provides just kind of different questions you could ask or statements you could make that would shift the course of that conversation. Um, when it comes to bullying or harassment, recognizing that the person at the receiving end of that behavior is going through some serious, you know, mental anguish that you do want to rally around them. And I think what often happens is people feel like if I snuggle up to that person to be their ally, I'm going to be targeted too, uh, which is a very real fear. I totally get that. But if several of you can rally around that person to, to say, we don't want you to treat this person that way, you know, um, there's power in numbers. So I guess I'm saying at the very least, reach out to them, let them know that you can see what's going on, ask them how they're doing. Is there anything you can do to help? Would they like you to go to HR with them? You know, um, just showing your support. And then whenever you can, you know, if that person, if the bullying is happening in a meeting, for example, call it out. And, and it could just be something like, look, it feels like you're raising your voice. I think none of us probably want that to happen here in this meeting. So could we bring our voices back down? You know, just something like that. And yes, you might start 
trying attention to yourself. But if all of you do it and all of you agree in that meeting, hey, yeah, no, we don't want to be yelled at. Um, that person doesn't really have a choice. It's about creating social pressure for them to change. I love that. I love that idea. And so going back to the microaggressions, you know, just taking something that kind of seems a little nebulous, right? Uh, uh, workplace gossip. So a member of the team isn't there. The group starts gossiping about how they're not meeting deadlines, their work performance, how they're on the golf course versus doing what they should be doing, whatever it may be. How, what what is what is your recommendation or advice for kind of not getting sucked into that and and then also stepping out of that and being an ally for that person that's not present? Yeah, I would just say, hey, I I don't want to participate in this conversation. I'm not into gossiping and walk away. Uh, so you'll create a little bit of uncomfortability. I I doubt anybody's going to go. Oh well, forget her. Let's keep gossiping. <laughs> you know, I think it. Yeah. So it's just about calling attention to it without being rude about it. Yeah. Um, that would be my advice: is just to suggest, hey, I don't, I don't want to participate in this. I wouldn't want people to gossip about me. Um, and then if if it feels right, depending on your relationship, depending how much this is going on, you know, I, I don't know, then there's that consideration. Do we talk to the person who's being gossiped about? I don't know. I don't know that there's a hard and fast answer to that question. Um, depends on what your goals are by mm-hmm. sharing that with them. Do they really need to know about it? Have you resolved it by talking to the group already? You know, there's a myriad of factors there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great advice. Well, Catherine, I had you on the podcast because you are definitely an expert in this area. I love all the research you've done. I love your your speaking, your courses. And how can people find out more and, you know, find out how to be a better ally? Maybe maybe this podcast is resonating with someone that might be exhibiting bullying behavior in the workplace. And so, how how can they find out more and learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. So my firm is called Civility Partners. So we're just at civilitypartners.com. I'm all over LinkedIn. Um, sometimes I joke, just Google Catherine Matthias. You'll find pages. <laughs> How to get in touch with me. I'm everywhere. I'm easy to find. <laughs> um, but yeah, Civility Partners is our website. Okay, perfect. Um, any last words of wisdom that you have for my listeners? Yes. If you feel bullied, my recommendation is to get really in tune with how you're feeling about it and recognize that whatever you feel today, based on where you're at today with that bullying is probably far worse. It's deeper in you than you realize. Mm -hmm. Um, I just caution everyone to pay attention to how they're feeling. Nobody's going to protect your dignity and your respect for yourself more than you. Um, So if you start to feel like you're going down a path where you're developing some of the serious damage that I was talking about. You've got to get out. Um, don't, don't hang around. Um, I've just, I've talked to people who have PTSD from bullying and, and it's not pretty they're, they're damaged for life and you can feel that coming through the phone, you know? So I just want to, I recognize sometimes we've got to stay in our jobs because that's what we need to be doing, but just pay close attention to how you're feeling. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask you that question as you were sharing. It, it prompted another question. I know we were trying to close out, but uh, but I do have that question around. You know, there are a lot of people who are in jobs where maybe they're the primary breadwinner. Um, they provide the financial security for their company. Or many of my listeners have elevated 
up the ranks where um, unfortunately they have some golden handcuffs on. Um, they have vesting that's coming up where they have to be in an organization over the next two, five years to reap those benefits. And so what do you say to that person who is dealing in a toxic work culture and feels somewhat stuck? Yeah. I mean, I think my advice is the same and I know that sounds crazy, but what, what is your dignity worth? Is it worth whatever's on the other side of those golden handcuffs? How is it affecting your family, your marriage, your personal life? Um, and then you can decide if that price tag is worth it, then stick with it and stick out those golden handcuffs. Now I know there's a lot of other factors. You might think, well, I need the golden handcuffs because I got uh, you know, kids going through college here shortly. And so you're torn. Um, so I don't sit, give this advice flippantly, but the other options, if you are deciding to stay and actually I'll share a quick story. So I did some research on, uh, success stories of workplace bullying. I was trying to figure out why someone like me was bullied and I was able to really flourish from it. Post-traumatic growth, right. Versus, mm-hmm these individuals who get PTSD, what, what's the difference? Why some come out okay. And some don't. So I put out a call for success stories of workplace bullying. Um, actually I have a book of a collection of those stories called stand up, speak out against workplace bullying. Um, and the one thing I notice in there's 23 stories in there, every single story has this climax in the story where a decision was made. And that decision changed their lives. So the decision could have been like one person's story. She said she just decided she had enough. She stood up, dropped the keys of the office on their boss's desk very dramatically and was like, I'm done. I quit and marched out. And she felt a thousand times better. Um, Another woman who uh, who's from the Coast Guard. Um, she's a, she works at the Coast Guard Academy. She's black, lesbian, PhD, she's got a lot of strikes against her, you know, there in the Coast Guard environment. And uh, she decided I'm going to stay. It's my lot in life to be the civil rights advocate for the Coast Guard University and I'm going to, or Academy, and I'm going to make as much change as I can. I'm taking that on. That was her decision, you know, so that that's the answer is make a decision that gives you your power back and stick to that decision. What I love about those examples and what you're sharing is that it becomes a conscious decision. Yes. So whatever you choose to do, just making that conscious decision, you know what, if I'm choosing to stay, how do I become strategic? How do I maybe seek out someone like yourself to get advice on maneuvering around a workplace bully or a toxic work environment? Or if I'm a leader, how do I bring someone like yourself into the organization to alleviate the toxicity, right? And how do I make a difference? Or if I can't make a difference, and I I really know that I can't, just making a conscious decision of this is my choice, this is why. And sometimes when we can really hang on to the anchor of our why, we can tolerate, we can tolerate that and we can depersonalize some of that behavior. So I I love what you shared around just making a conscious decision about what your choice is moving forward. So Catherine, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insight with me and my listeners. I have loved every minute of it and uh, just appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.